Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Can you believe it? Second to last game of the season, final road game for Penn State football. They are heading out to Piscataway for their yearly meetup with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. So what's going on with Greg Schiano's team? How is this uh, program developing? And what do we need to know about the game coming up this weekend? We are going to be learning all of that from an expert on the Rutgers Skylar Knights coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. And we are joined by Brian Fonseca of NJ.com. He is uh, a beat writer for covering Rutgers, I believe, basketball and football. Right, Brian? All things Rutgers sports. I'll be at Rutgers men's soccer for the NCAA tournament tomorrow. So if Rutgers is playing a sport, I'll, I'll be there. All right. Well, he's the guy then to talk to about uh, whatever you want to know in New Jersey. But with with uh, with the game coming up this weekend, he's going to help us give a scouting report on uh, Greg Schiano's team. So let's start with this. I think Penn State fans are intimately familiar with Greg Schiano, the football coach. What is the personality of this team and have they adapted his personality uh, this year? I would say so. Uh, they're a team that does play play hard through the end of the game. You kind of saw that uh, against Michigan State last Saturday. They did the, uh, the, at the controversial you know last-second victory formation crashing, but that's just the way Greg Schiano approaches the game, and his players seem to kind of buy into that mentality that the game isn't over until it's over. Uh, they play hard. They're a very defensive-minded team. That's the strength of, of their, their team by a significant margin. Uh, they are very good on special teams other than the occasional penalty. Uh, very, but They have a bizarre... Uh, habit of committing offsides on kickoffs for some reason this season but other than that very solid special teams and the offense is a work in progress so yeah i would say this is a very greg shiano-esque team and uh that that's that's uh, i think they've solidified that by this point of the season so let's actually i was going to start with the offense because most times you start with the offense but let's start with that defense because it's a very fascinating unit to me from what i have seen of them on film um you know kind of what you just said seems like a well-coached unit um, and then when it comes to sometimes, I don't know what, what's, what's the, what's the gap here? Cause they've, they've held a lot of teams under 30 points, which is kind of the benchmark now in college football. But at the same time, it seems like the, uh, the football intelligence for this group doesn't always translate into football production. So is that a fair assessment? And then if not, what would you say about this team? So the defense is a bit strange in that they had a great start to the year. They were top 10 in a lot of categories through the first half of the year. But it's tricky because a lot of the teams they faced in the first six games were not very offensively competent. Boston College is a mess. Temple is very bad. Ohio State's the only really good offense they faced, and they gave up 49 points. And that, that the the shine of that early defensive success kind of wore down when they played Minnesota and gave up 31, when they played uh, Michigan and gave up 52. Uh, so some of that was because of the offense, a lot of turnovers that really gave the defense a short field to work with and made it harder. Um, 
But this defense has a lot of young pieces that you could see taking strides every week and that could be really good down the line. Guys like Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey on the edge. Guys inside like uh, um, uh, his name is escaping me. Uh, Hamilton. Keontae Hamilton. Sorry. Um, a, lot, a lot of young talent in this group. Tyreen Powell is a young, competent, strong linebacker. Uh, it's just a matter of them getting gaining experience, playing together. And uh, I think it's you could see the flashes of what they could be in the future, and you could kind of say this about the offense too. But now it's they're still, I would still say they're a top half in the Big Ten defense, but they're not as good as they looked early in the season. You mentioned Aaron Lewis. This stat line popped out to me: thirty-three pressures so far, according to PFF. That's that's a great stat line. Fifteen quarterback hits, one sack. Is it bad luck? Is it just that youth? What what's uh, Aaron Lewis seems like he's as you mentioned a very talented football player with a bright future. Um, it just seems is that bad luck? What's going on with Aaron Lewis the pass rusher? Because it looks great, uh, other than the sack production. Yeah, it's a great question. I I do think some of those quarterback hits must be he has a tendency of hitting quarterbacks as they like late as they throw the ball and not getting any roughing the passer penalties. He has a, a very interesting talent in doing that. I don't know how he does it. Um, but yeah, he's long, he's athletic, he comes off the edge really fast. He's a guy I think could be the cornerstone of this defense for years to come. Um, so yeah, and I guess just that's the last piece that's missing for him is actually getting to the quarterback and sacking him. So the defensive line, tell me about them. You said young and talented. What has their production level been so far this season? Yeah, they, uh, the sack numbers are not great, as as you mentioned, but they, they do produce some pressure. They were great against the run early in the year, top 10 rush defense. But again, once you play Mo Ibrahim and Blake Corum, those numbers tend to not look as great. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And they, they did not have a great game against Michigan State. I don't know if it's just the wear and tear of the season or what it is. Michigan State is not that great of a rushing offense. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, th- th- I would say they're much better at stopping the run than they are at getting pressure against the quarterback. Um, and that's, again, that's something that I think that's a blind spot. It's a fair point that you raise, but um, I think they'll have a really tough test against uh, Penn State, which has probably top two, top three, top four. You tell me uh, rush attack in the Big Ten. Yeah, somewhere up in there. And it seems like it's getting better as well. You mentioned young players with with Nick Singleton having a breakout game last week and, uh, you know, Katron Allen being a good football player as well and pretty much the whole season. So it'll be that's an interesting matchup of, of Rutgers again going to those linebackers, too. Is this is this a veteran unit? It seems like they're playing very well and they have a uh, it just seems like this is a hard defense to beat. It, do, it doesn't seem like a one that's going to beat itself by making a lot of mental errors. Is, is that is that correct? And, you know, what is what would you say the talent level of the linebackers are in that matchup of running backs versus linebackers? So Rutgers linebackers, top two linebackers are pretty solid. Uh, senior Deion Jennings and uh, Tyron Powell, sophomore I mentioned earlier. Uh, the depth behind them is not great. Uh, Moses Walker, who was a four-star freshman, they had high hopes for towards ACL in the spring. Uh, Mo Ture was kind of a linebacker edge hybrid. He tore his ACL in the summer, I want to say, or the spring. I can't quite remember at this point. It's been so long. Uh, but those two guys were expected to contribute. And then Drew Singleton, a guy who was hoping to come back for a fifth year after not getting drafted, that whole situation played out differently than Rutgers had hoped, so he didn't come back. Um, so there, there's not much proven depth behind those two guys, uh, but they had been relatively healthy up until the Michigan game. Deion Jennings got hurt. He left, didn't play the second half, played, I think, 12 snaps against Michigan State and didn't come back. Greg Schiano said today he's not sure if he'll play Saturday. So if you miss him, you put a young guy like Jimmy Wright Collins behind him who's a converted running back. He had some issues against Michigan State, and Michigan State, carved Rutgers up down the middle in the past game was a really big soft spot in their defense. So that yeah. might be an area they'll need to clean up. Um, but 
Tyron Powell, I think, is has the potential of being a really, really, really good linebacker. Uh, it's just a matter of him continuing to develop. But if if Deion Jennings is not back Saturday, that could be an area for Penn State to exploit for sure. Yeah, that seemed, and that's an area that Penn State has been very good at exploiting with their tight ends. And that was something I wanted to know. Is that is that indicative of the the coverage unit? Is that they've been giving up big plays down the middle like that? Um, and, and have you seen? Uh, you know, I guess just what's the what's your sense of of that group and how they've performed uh, this season? Yeah, I think they've been fine. I thought I thought Saturday was probably their worst game. That's not Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, it looked like they were just finding soft spots in the zone. I I'm not exactly sure what what the issue was. I do think that uh, defensive coordinator, first year defensive coordinator Joe Harris Simiak has done a relatively good job this season of adjusting, fixing mistakes throughout the year. And there's I can't remember. This might be, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. This might be just recency bias. I don't remember Rutgers gave me up many big plays this season, many big explosive plays. That used to be a very big issue for this team. And uh, in you know years ago during the Chris Ash era, it seems like that's not an issue. It's just more of a matter of nickel and diming and not being able to get uh, third down stops. That was an issue for a segment of the season. So um, yeah, that, that's what I would say. Yeah, a zone-heavy unit, it seems. Is that something that Penn State fans could expect? Because I know last year, from what I remember, they came in with a very specific game plan for Sean Clifford. And uh, and is that something that they've been able to, to flip back and forth from? Because it seems, again, like when I was watching the, the Michigan State game, uh, they're there. Like, they're they're executing the, the defense well. They're in place, and then it becomes there's a catch or there's a broken tackle or down the seam or something like that. So is that a one-off game? And is, uh, what do you think that the trajectory for that group is so far? Yeah, I think Michigan state was probably one of their worst defensive games of the season. So it might mm -hmm. be a one-off deal. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that they're in an interesting point where they're playing the hardest section of their schedule now. And I, I don't know if it's compounding. I don't know if it's, you know, a very stark adjustment from the beginning of the season. I think we'll, I think Maryland is going to be the real test just because they're a team that's closer to Rutgers level than any of the teams they face so far uh, recently, I should say. Um, so I don't know if Penn state will be very indicative of that. I think Penn state is easily more talented than Rutgers, uh, but, but we'll see. Yeah. Cause you can explain the talent gap in a couple games, right? You know, when you're going up against Ohio state or Michigan, clearly there's going to be some things that you just can't scheme away. Like, size speed things like that and that's the curiosity of i think at the beginning of the season penn state fans didn't feel like they were at that level um and after the two games against penn state or against ohio state and against michigan they really didn't feel like they're at that level but if you look at the rest of the penn state schedule they have been you know a cut above some of the other big 10 teams from a talent perspective, where would you put Rutgers on that scale? It sounds like you're, you're putting them kind of in a traditional spot for where, where they've been. Um, and is that, how is the program building going with Greg Schiano? Right. I think Rutgers has, and I don't know if this is Rutgers merit or Indiana's demerit. I don't know if that's a word, but they're clearly ahead of Indiana. Indiana, I think is easily the worst team in the big 10, which makes their season opening win against Illinois that much more confounding. Um, I would say Rutgers is just above tier like the, the worst in the big tens here, which is a great sign for them, believe it or not, given how bad this program was for a long time. I think, yeah. I think they are ascending not production wise. Obviously they're one in six in the big 10 and uh, they've really only been close to beating Michigan state other than Indiana. And they should, should have been, should have beaten Nebraska. That was, that was a tough loss for them, but you could tell, you could tell that the defense is becoming an area that is being solidified. It is not going to be an area. You're going to lose a football game. The offense is coming along. 
I think that they're getting great signs out of Gavin Wimsett the last few games. He is developing. I thought Saturday mm-hmm. was a big step for him. And that's really the focal point for the rest of the season and where this program could go is if they can get Gavin Wimsett to be a top half of the Big Ten quarterback, which I really do think he has the potential to be if all things can come together and build around him if they can uh, plug the offensive line, which has been better this season than last year, because last year they were probably the worst offensive line in the Big Ten. They are competent this year. If they can build uh, a solid wide receiving group around him, Sean Ryan is their best wide receiver. He's gone after the season, and there's not much proven depth behind him. If they can build that area. And it looks like they have a star running back in Sam Brown, who had a huge game before he broke his foot or, or had a foot injury and is out for the year. Um, but that, that'll be telling of where this program will go in the future is can they build that offense to a competent level and to complement the defense Greg Shannon's talked about complimentary football all season long if they can play that build on the special teams I think this this program has a chance to take another step in 23 and then 24 when all these young freshmen sophomores or juniors and seniors that's going to be the real prove it year I think at least that's the, the the outlook of the things now with college football transfer portal, all these things. You never know what's going to happen two years from now, but as of right now, that's kind of the path that I think people are looking towards. A total side note, but you bring up a great point. And now I have the, I have to ask the question, what is Rutgers NIL situation so that they don't become a poached team? Cause that's the fear right now that, you you know, going into this off season, it doesn't matter if they're on your roster or not a team uh, in the same division, in the same conference, maybe not even the same conference can say, Hey, by the way, if you want to come play at X school, we'll give you blank NIL money. Is that a concern at Rutgers, considering that teams have, uh, you know, come into the state for in the Big Ten East and taken recruits for a while now uh, that they'll do that to the good players that do end up to Rutgers? Because I know that this is a concern uh, even at Penn State. You know, there is a food chain in college football and having that secured is a big topic this offseason. So where's Rutgers in that particular situation? Yeah, it, it's it's certainly a concern for at Rutgers, like you said, at most schools, but certainly at Rutgers because they have a lot of young talent that can be poached. And I'm certain of the way that th- things things are, there will be opportunities. Uh, the NIL situation, as far as collectives, is not great. I don't know if it, it's fair to even say it's competitive with a lot of the Big Ten. I don't think it's competitive in any sense as with Penn State, which obviously has one of the bigger collectives in the country. Um, I, I we will be a lot will be. It would be interesting to watch this December and this January. It'll be very telling of where all these things go because you hear it's going to be the wild, wild west. I believe it will be. I think it's going to, until we see it happen, we won't know. Yeah. But I do. I certainly think it's it's alarming for Rutgers. And I think Greg Schiano's concern or focus, I should say, is on retaining players more so than poaching players in, in, in NIL. I think he's put a lot of focus. He's told, uh, uh, we reported this, uh, I think, last month or two months ago. He told the Booster Club they need a million dollars to be able to maintain the roster. And they're working to get, the collective is working to get that money to be able to ensure that they can maintain the young talent they have and develop them. Whether they'll be able to by December when it's crunch time, I don't know. But I do think I think it's clear that Greg Schiano is aware of the issue. He is uh, being a bit proactive in telling the, the Booster Club that they need help, and that NIL is the future of college athletics. If you don't have a good NIL collective, if you don't have that backing you, you're in a very, very, very vulnerable spot where these big boys who have deep, deep pockets can come in and get your best players. It's it's just interesting the perspective that everyone has from where they are sitting because no just to tell Rutgers fans if they're watching this nobody feels confident you know you you mentioned Penn State has one of the bigger NIL collectives in in the country Penn State fans do not feel confident in that uh, and they don't feel like it's enough 
So it it's never going to be enough no matter where you're sitting. But it is, uh, you know, there is the reality of enough versus, uh, you know, the opportunity to be, as James Franklin says, bold and aggressive in NIL. So from your perspective, how do you feel about all of this? What's your take and what's your opinion on how NIL is changing college football um, and what we don't know, you know, coming up? I think it is. So I, I'm not a fan of any team, right? I can I can certainly empathize with fans that it, it's going to be a nerve wracking two months, right? Like it, I can only imagine what it must be like for Rutgers fans to see all these great players and have in the back of their mind thinking, "Will we have this guy next year?" Like I, I, it's a very nerve wracking time for fans. I think it's great that players are getting paid. I think it's long overdue. I don't know a solution to make this sustainable or competitively fair or whatever the issues are now because those questions are way above my head. And if I knew the answers, I'd be the, the commissioner of the Big Ten or whatever. Um, that's a, that's not a cop-out answer. It's just the truth. I don't know. I do know that they should. these are issues that need to be fixed. But I also think that there have always been have-beens and have-nots in college football. Yeah. You know, it, NIL isn't going to be the reason that Alabama wins an eighth national title under Nick Saban or whatever in a year or two. It's it's not the reason Georgia is is, is, is as it is. It's it's maybe there was some under the table stuff happening before this. That's probably fair. But you know, there's only been a select few teams that have won a national championship. There are always only going to be you know four teams a year that have a chance of winning a national championship. So if anything, I think NAL gives teams like Rutgers not a chance to win a national championship. Obviously, but if Rutgers ever finds a donor with very very deep pockets that can rival the Texas A&M's and whatever's of the world, they have a chance to kind of climb up the rankings that uh, and and elevate its ceiling that's naturally there without it. So I think it's a good thing for college football. I think we really need to figure out a solution to all of it because it's, it's very far from perfect. Um, yeah. but I, I do think that sport is in a better state because of it than it was before. And it's more fair to the players because they've been making billions of dollars for a bunch of people and seeing any of it and seeing none of it. So the more money in the hands of the players, the better, in my opinion. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I think we share a similar opinion about that last part, too. So let's get back to the football team, you know, that interesting aside, because it as as much as it's, you know, I, I stick a lot to things that are on the football field, plays, X's and O's, like, you can't ignore it because it does affect what's on the football field. Literally, it affects what's on the football field. So let's talk about Gavin Wimsett, because I see some of the things you're talking about when it ter- in terms of seems to have good mechanics, seems to have a strong arm, nice mo- nice mobility. What uh, what do you think his ceiling is, and what are you looking for from him in the next couple of games to hint at that he's progressing as a quarterback? 
it's interesting you asked me that question because I asked people that question and I never really thought about what it'd be like to a- get asked it. I don't, it's hard to quantify a ceiling for a guy, right? I do think yeah. he has a chance of being, uh, I don't think he'll ever become the best quarterback in the Big Ten just because of how much talent these other teams could get. I think he has a chance of being a top half in the Big Ten, qu- quarterback that ranks in the top half of the Big Ten. He has the physical tools, as you've said. He's got a great arm. Uh, he just has to learn how to use it. I think an issue there is that he has... You one, one recurring issue with every game, he has two or three passes, five yards in front of him that he throws 100 miles an hour and his receivers can't catch it. I've talked to a couple of people who make the fair point that that's just experience. That's just getting used to having, you know, 800 pounds, 900 pounds rushing at you and you, you don't want to get sacked. So you just throw the ball as hard as you can. Right. I think that's those are some other things that he can fix through experience, learning how to play. He's shown growth in the last few games. Against Michigan, he threw three interceptions and five passes in the second half and and essentially, I don't want to say lost the game for them because that's not fair to the kid, but it had a huge reason that they were going from leading at halftime to getting blown out, right? It makes it hard on the defense, short fields, et cetera. He didn't throw an interception against Michigan State. Huge step for him because he had thrown at least one in six of his last seven games before that. If he can learn to not turn the ball over, not put it in dangerous areas, because you're going to get intercepted every once in a while, right? It's just the way the sport is. But if these are interceptions that happen because of a great play from a DB versus throwing the ball directly at a guy coming on, under a route. Don't give it to them, right? Make them work for it, essentially, yeah. yes. Um, those are the steps I want to see. And he has that arm. He throws deep once or twice a game. I haven't seen him connect on a, on a deep pass yet. I'd like to see that in the last couple of games. Um, and using being more confident in his legs. He got hurt in the Temple game, hurt his ankle. And he has been a bit hesitant to run. I think it, he he was a lot better against Michigan State. Avoided pressure, evaded pressure very very well, and I think he's going to face a lot of pressure on Saturday. So that'll be another key piece for him to grow in, and just run, add another dimension to his game. Because once you yeah. do that, once you show that you can move the ball with your feet, it's going to open things up in the pass game. Um, but to answer your question in a long winded way, I think that he can has a chance of being a top half Big Ten quarterback if he gets the pieces around him and he continues to make strides week by week going into the off season and being what I would expect him to be the bona fide starter next year uh, and just continue on that path. Yeah. You answered my next question because you, he seemed like he was staying in the pocket against Michigan state. It seemed like a guy that was uh, has the ability to run. So that confidence in his legs, do you think that can be something he can use uh, against Penn state this week? Or is he still working back from the injury there? We asked him after the Michigan State game, and he said his ankle is fine. Some of it is just mentally, you know, learning when to run, how to run, things like that. Mm-hmm. He also took like a couple of really hard shots in the Minnesota game when he was sliding. I don't know. I we didn't ask him, but I have to imagine that when you get hit like that a couple of times, you you got to learn how to bounce back from that, right? So I think it'll. I don't know if he'll use it on Saturday specifically. I don't know where he is at there. I certainly think he has it in his toolbox. I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, does some, they, they stopped doing design runs after they fired Sean Gleason, the offensive coordinator. I don't think mm-hmm. Nunzio Campanelli is going to bring that out much, but I certainly can see him, you know, escaping the pocket, gaining some chunks on the ground. If the space is there in front of him, which is a step forward from the weeks prior. Yeah. Cause that was one thing against Indiana. The Penn state had uh, some leakage from the pocket. Didn't keep the quarterback in the pocket. They fixed that against Talia Tungavaloa, but again, an injured quarterback that, can scramble but didn't do a lot of that so um they play a lot of aggressive coverages they play a lot of man coverages and if he's able to break the pocket i think that's something that penn state fans would have their eye on in terms of are you going to get burned by that is that going to be something that's going to frustrate the defense throughout the day um but outside of him at quarterback i don't know that i've seen as many wildcat packages on a team in a while not only is richard rochelle a wildcat quarterback but also you know johnny langan still does his goal line package 
what are they trying to achieve? Is it just by any means necessary finding offense, or is there something else behind the Wildcat packages for Rutgers? Certainly, I think it's just a matter of whatever we can do to move the ball. Let's roll with it. They actually used the Johnny Langan package a lot earlier in the season under Sean Gleason. And then once he got fired, they've really reined it in, which I think is for the best because there was a point where he's going out there. You know, he's not going to throw the ball. So teams would just stack the box and he'd gain one, two yards a pop every time. It just wasn't working. Now, when they use it in specific situations like Michigan State at the goal line, in the red zone, things like that, it's made more sense. I think. The jump pass could could do some use some work. John, uh, Langan almost got intercepted at the at the goal line doing a Tim Tebow jump pass. He did claim he got hit, so I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, they're just doing he, whatever they can. He also ran into the guy that hit him. <laughs> Listen, I'm just I'm just relaying the message here. Johnny was very right. adamant that he got hit, and uh, yeah, and Rashad Rochelle is a very interesting guy because he played quarterback in high school and he has that athleticism to him. He knows the position, and he's uh, he's gotten some some decent gains in the last couple games in that position. So. Um, I don't know if they're converting him to a running back from wide receiver. He came in as an athlete, so they're kind of just using him in any way they can. And uh, and yeah, they, they throw out some jet sweeps sometimes too with Aaron Crookshank. So whatever it takes for this team to move the ball at some earlier, in the, it was a lot worse earlier in the season where it was really a struggle to get anything going. So just kind of throwing things at the wall. Single, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say throwing things at the wall because that makes it seem like they're flippantly just choosing things. But they're using all the tools in their arsenal to move the ball downfield. I should say it like that. Brian uh, Fonseca of NJ.com. He is talking about Rutgers football with us here on the BWI Daily Edition. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. We're talking about the Rutgers offense, which is predictably under Greg Schiano, a little bit behind the defense. Schiano, unabashedly a special teams and defensive guy. Um, how do you feel about that? Just generally from a program. Here's what I mean. From a program building perspective, um, you know, Focusing on defense and special teams first, I think, is a way to be competitive. But if you don't have an offense and you aren't attractive to offensive skill players, you're not going to get them. Uh, I, I know that Rutgers has their own built-in challenges anyway, but do you feel like that's a problem um, You know, with a guy that is so focused on that side of the football? Or is it something that it just is going to take a good coordinator and some time to develop and recruit talent? You raise a very fair question that I think a lot of Rutgers fans ask themselves. I do think that the defensive first special teams, you know, conservative on offense approach gives you a relatively high floor because you're not going to beat yourself. You're going to limit mistakes. You're going to keep games close and you're always going to be within striking distance of pulling the win, but it does limit your ceiling in a lot of those ways you mentioned, right? I don't know if, if I'm a, if I'm an offensive player, a four side wide receiver, I don't know if I want to play it for a team with limited offensive, you know, production or or a proof of concept right i do think if they get a qualified wide receiver i don't think it's it's a either and thing like i think if just because the defense is good doesn't mean the offense can't be great they're missing right. an offensive coordinator but some of that is also greg's philosophy in being conservative you saw at the end of the michigan state game he chose to instead of going for a score they had the ball a minute 33 left at their 25 with three timeouts that's a situation a lot of teams would go for, you know, go for a touchdown. He considered the fact he had a young quarterback and said he would rather go into halftime down seven with the ball and not risk being down 14 rather than going for the tying touchdown before halftime. It's just a window into his very conservative yeah. way of approaching the offensive side of the ball, which again, it, it, he's won games with it. But like you said, very, it limits the ceiling. And for fans, I, I think they would rather see 
a, a 35 31 loss than a 14 to 13 loss right it's just yeah. more exciting for for them in that aspect as well which i don't think can be discounted either it's it just here's my problem and this is kind of what i'm driving at is i i don't i always get a little hesitant when you have a defensive coach because they spend so long trying to stop points that I think they look at offense as the enemy, even when it's their own offense. Like, just don't screw it up for the defense. And the 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 basic point of football is to score points because if you don't score any points, you can't win the game. Like, if you end the game with zero points and they end with zero, that's still a tie. You have to actually score points to win a game. And that's all, you know, just generally that philosophy. I was, and Greg Schiano, as you mentioned, is one of the bastions of the old school way of doing things, which does have its benefits. And I'm not trying to completely you know, cut the knees out of this idea, but it does kind of, it, do you, do you see him ever evolving? Do you ever see that door opening a little bit at Rutgers uh, for, for the offense? I think it's, uh, Greg's been doing this for a long time. I think uh, not to say that no one would, could ever change. You know? Yeah. And I've been on the beat a, a year. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Greg that well, so I don't want to make any assumptions. I just think based on the track record, it's hard to see any major changes for a guy that already is pretty conservative. Right. Um, yeah. But and also uh, to a point you mentioned earlier, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing, right? Like, are they conservative because Rutgers has to be to win? Like, is this the only way that Rutgers could win because of the difficulties in getting talent here in the first place? Aside yeah. from the play style, right? So that, that's that's an interesting point too. It's a very complicated topic that I don't know if we can n- nail down, but I think you raised some very interesting and, and fair points. So let's talk then more specifically about the skill position players. You mentioned Sean Ryan, Aaron Crookshanks, two transfers into the program. Um, what is the skill position like receiver? I know uh, Johnny uh, Manungai, I think is his last name, if I pronounce that per- cor- correctly, runs really hard and seems like he's the engine to the offense. Is you know what? What did you? You mentioned getting more players around Wimsat. Uh, where are they in that process? So you're confusing Johnny Langan and Kyle Manungai. He's the Kyle Manungai. Sorry about that. All good. All good. Uh, yeah, he's he's their lead back now. That's Sam Brown, who was his four-star freshman that was really playing well before he got hurt. So Kyle Manungai's uh, now the lead back. He had a good game against Michigan State. Again, Michigan State, one of, if not the worst, rush defense in the Big Ten. So it's hard to tell how much of that was Kyle Manungai making a big jump because he, they, they had rushed for 60 yards as a team in two games prior to that against Michigan and Minnesota. So I think, again, Saturday will be telling. Kyle guy is at the very least a solid Big Ten running back. So they're set at that position, I think. Wide receiver is a bit thin. Sean Ryan is the only legitimate, I shouldn't say that, the only proven wide receiver. He's been a security blanket for Gavin Wimsett for most of the season. Tends to make one or two big catches a game. Um, Aaron Crookshank's a guy who can, you put the ball in his hands in the backfield, he can make things work, make uh, gain some yards after, after, after catch. Um, but, but other than that, uh, the rest of the wide receiver core is rather relatively unreliable. Chris Long is a guy with a ton of potential. He had a big breakout run of a slant against Michigan, but he had two drop passes in that game. Uh, and just and a lot of the, the wide receivers behind him are young and unproven. So I think Sean Ryan is the one guy they know is a known commodity. But and what and that running back Kyle guy is pretty solid. But other than that, even at tight end, they're relatively unproven. Johnny Langan is not. He's a converted quarterback to tight end. He does an admirable job. He's not anywhere near uh, a, a guy who can, you can depend on to make a big catch. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done in building around Gavin Wimsett. So one of the things I've noticed in that is that uh, Shiano has targeted 
New Jersey natives to transfer back into the state, into the program. You know, Ryan, who we mentioned, is is a New Jersey, Brooklyn native, I think. Um, you know, Crookshanks was a guy. Uh, there's been a couple the the year before. Some of the offensive linemen that they have. How has that strategy worked? And do you think that that's something going forward that they're going to be able to continue to play on and get some of these guys that go to other schools to come back to the home state and add to the talent level, not just kind of replace through transfer portal and get guys to be serviceable starters. Certainly. I think it's one Avenue. They hit hard. I think they feel comfortable doing that. They very recruited these kids out of high school. So they know and can attest to their character and all those basic things you need to know about a kid. Uh, and they, there's a lot of talent here that, you know, leaves the state. And I guess it depends on who they're getting and why they're getting them. Right. If a kid mm -hmm. is leaving a program because they're not living up to expectations, I don't know if that's a positive get versus a kid who just feels homesick and wants to come home, which I, I a lot of these kids do feel that way. Um, but yeah, they've, they've built their own moat around the state of Rutgers. They like to call it the New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania area, though Pennsylvania, probably not as much as they'd like uh, in Florida. So I think those are that those areas and uh, former kids from that, from that place where entering the transfer portal. I think that's that I totally agree. That's a big market they hit in and they've done, I would say more good than bad in that area, picking up guys. You mentioned like JD Drenzo, offensive lineman starting for them. Uh, Sigurd Hart, he's from South Jersey, came back. Uh, Sean Ryan from that Erasmus Hall pipeline, along with Aaron Crookshank. So Josiah Harris, a kid they got from Texas A&M, who was from Brooklyn, that same school. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I don't know if you could build an entire team around that, but I definitely think to your point, those are like plug and play guys or depth pieces that can really accentuate the the bread and butter of the whole thing, which is high school recruiting. So one one group we haven't talked about is the offensive line. What's the characteristic of that group? Run, pass, uh, how do they perform? And is that something that Penn State will have an advantage of in this situation on Saturday? I think so. I think they'll have the advantage. Uh, Rutgers is decent at run blocking. They At least they were against Michigan State. They had a good game there. Uh, and that's been relatively okay. Pass protection is... They had a tough time pass protecting against Michigan State and against Michigan. Um, that is an area that they need to grow. They've been relatively, uh, as opposed to last season, where they mixed and matched a billion people, they've been relatively stable. They have the top six guys, and they just threw in a seventh guy, uh, Kobe Asamoah, a true freshman, who was great at run blocking, struggled in pass protection. Um, and they had to figure in uh, backup center because their starting center, Ireland Brown, got hurt. His status is unclear. So if he doesn't play, that could be a very disastrous Result for Rutgers because Gus Alinkis, the backup kid who started five games as a true freshman last year, he had two holding penalties in the second half. He struggled a bit. He hasn't, he's not in game shape, in game rhythm, I should say, because he's playing. That was his first, those third game of the season, and it's the mm -hmm. first major steps he's played all season. So that could be a problem area at center if Ireland Brown doesn't come back. Um, and Willie Tyler, who was the starting left tackle until last week, he really struggled in pass protection. Seemed like he gave up a sack once, at least once every week. Uh, he's been demoted to the bench, but he comes on uh, on third downs. So there's no superstars on that line. It's a lot better than it was a year ago. It has a long way to go. Um, and I think that uh, Penn State's front could have a relatively good day against them. Brian Fonseca of NJ.com dropping knowledge on Rutgers. What to expect this weekend from Penn State's final road opponent. Uh, so fill in the blank for me here. Rutgers is in this game in the third quarter if limit turnovers. That's the biggest thing. Gavin Wimsett cannot throw any backbreaking interceptions, fumbles, etc. Limit turnovers. Uh, maintain time of possession. 
not necessarily score, but get a couple first downs, convert some third downs, keep the ball out of Penn State's hands, and uh, stay solid defensively. Get to the get to the quarterback, block, uh, plug the run, just whatever they can do to limit Penn State scoring. I, I wouldn't even say that Rutgers has to necessarily score a ton because I don't expect them to. To be honest, they haven't scored more than ten points against Penn State since they joined the Big Ten. Maybe they could score 13, 17. I wouldn't bet on it, right? So I think the more they can limit Penn State, hold on to the ball, that'll give them a chance to be in the game entering the third, fourth quarter. So it's going to be 17 to 10 is is the area it needs to be in uh, for that game this weekend. What's the weather like? Last thing. Do you know? Have you checked the weather yet? And what's the status for that? Because that's crept up on me a couple times this year where I haven't really checked. And there's been torrential rain. There's been wind, you know, and I was at a game a couple of years ago uh, for Penn State Rutgers, and there was a snowstorm in the second half that just popped up out of nowhere. So anything on the radar that you've seen? No, I haven't. Uh, in Jersey, it's been, I don't know what it's like in State College, but in Jersey, it was like very hot last week, and now it's in the 40s. So the quick temperature drop has been a bit of a, a whirlwind to deal with. But uh, it'll be a nice Big Ten weather November kind of, I think it'll be in the 30s, 40s, a little bit of wind, but uh, should be relatively uh no, I don't expect any torrential downpour or snow or anything like that. So we should be good in that avenue. Or 40 mile an hour wind. That's one of the reasons I ask is the last time Penn State was there was in 2020 and the goalpost basically blew over because the wind was so was so strong. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that goes, but it sounds like it's going to be a good day for football. Uh, Brian Fonseca of NJ.com. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the talk. We'll be back tomorrow with the official preview of the game. Uh, Sean Fitz and... Uh, Nate Bauer going to be back tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition to give you the rundown from the Penn State perspective, give you some more insight. And then, of course, on Friday, we're going to have our regular conversation with uh, Ryan Snyder. Make sure we've got all that on the BWI Daily Edition. We'll talk to you then.